Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, if you believe the statistics, unemployment is about as low as it can get. The stock market is enjoying a record bull run. The dollar is stronger than ever. And their president is intent on showing the rest of the world who's boss of the planet. So things seem to be going pretty well for the U.S. right now. So is Donald Trump good or bad for America? That's what we look at today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, the U.S., it seems, is the only country in the G7 to see economic growth accelerate right now, presumably the result of the, at least partially, of the uh, the tax cuts he's introduced. But at the same time, there's massive protectionism going on, and that could be getting even more stringent unless uh, some deal is struck with China. And what sort of deal would that be? Whatever it is, it has to be one where the U.S. wins and China gives ground. Is that really going to happen? So, Professor Steve Keen is with me, as usual, on the Debunking Economics podcast. I mean, does he have a, a case about China, Steve? I mean, first, you know, for manipulating their currency and making their exports cheaper, but also this whole thing about stealing intellectual property as well, taking uh, other ideas uh, and then making them cheaper in China. That seems to be the way they've been operating. But, I mean, also, generally... Um, you know, just the fact that there's this massive trade imbalance. So does he have a point? Yeah, he has got a valid point. But again, let's put this in history and go back a bit, because if you don't understand the context, you can't see why the current situation has evolved. And the China, nobody worried about China international trade under Mao Zedong, because it was all caught up in this you know, the centrally planned economy with all the terror that goes with that. Um, and all the failures that occurred as well. So the Great Leap Forward was a, it was a disaster that ended up melting down large amounts of, of existing iron ore and trying to, uh, not iron ore, but iron uh, structures and trying to send it into blast furnaces all over the country, massively inefficient, massively polluting, uh, the, the huge famines and so on and so forth. Then you have Deng Xiaoping coming in, in I think it was 1977, and overthrowing the Gang of Four, Including Madame Mao's, uh, uh, Madame Mao, Mao's, Mao's uh, widow, and saying that it d- didn't matter. The, 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 I think Dung's basic slogan was, "It doesn't matter whether the cat is black or white, as so long as it catches mice." And so, in other words, forget about the uh, whether you're talking socialism or capitalism. Let's just get something which changes and grows. And the initial idea was to have all these communes start becoming. Uh, exporters from each of their little communes. So I went to one commune in Sichuan province and they were explaining how they were making furniture and they dramatically increased their furniture output uh, over about a two or three year period. Like I think about a two or 300% increase in their production. And I was looking at this and it was a, a model commune, the usual approach that was taken under the, in the communist days to get one particular place to work on it. And then you will learn from Potemkin or whatever it might be. So this was learned from this province in Sichuan. And I asked them, how did they manage to achieve the sales? Now, quote, unquote, after the translation, I was told that uh, we sent out propagandists. Is that another word for salespeople? Yes, indeed. I think it's a much more accurate one. <laughs> uh, and then said, okay, where did the propagandists manage to achieve sales? Oh, Shanghai. 
who did they sell to? They sold to the state um, uh, warehouse there, furniture warehouse. And so now they said, okay, putting all this together, what it means is the reason you've been able to massively expand this single commune's output is that you've, uh, because it's going through the Communist Party state structure, somebody in Shanghai has been told to buy the output of this place, no matter what they can produce. So there's limitless demand for this individual commune and it looked like it's fabulously productive. But if you scale it up to nothing like about 200 or 300 communes across the entire province, it'll fail because you simply can't get every state enterprise dramatically expanding their purchases of your, your output. So I had no faith at all in that particular idea. We got down to, um, this. I, just, I took a group of Australian journalists there for a conference in in 81, 82, and we did a tour after the conference. And uh, one of the final legs of the tour was in Guangdong province, which was just north of Hong Kong, where they were building the Shenzhen Free Trade Zone. And that was the very first trade zone in China's history. And of all things, it's quite, I will never forget it. We, we got there, and of all things, that was being built by the Australian company CSR. They were laying all the concrete. And as well as having a, a classic uh, Australian Aussie manager, a good day mate type manager coming out in khakis and stuff like that. Um, he said, let's have a Barbie. No shrimps, I might add. That's, that's a Paul Hogan invention. But barbecue, and his wife turns up to serve the, to help us with the barbecue, and she is the, a classic Northern Beaches, um, big personality, uh, you know, fantastic personality. And so that we're all having, eating steaks and chatting with our Chinese people in this, you know, the, the blazing sun as the concrete is laid in Sichuan. We go for our briefing with the people running the, the province, and this is the first time I was ever impressed by a presentation while I was in China because the, the boss of the place said, well, look, I, I can give you a bit of an overview, but better to hand over to the actual implementation manager here, so I'll leave the room. He just walks out, no status worries for him at all giving over to an underling, and the guy then explains what they were doing. And the idea was the free trade zone was going to offer a uh, cheap factory site and, of course, cheap labour to, to American companies who exported there. There is a provision, and this is what Trump has been complaining about, there is a provision in the American trade law that enables a, a, a country, a company, to, like American company, to operate in a third world country and to re-export from that third world country back to America without placing tariffs on the increase in value placed on the tech, on whatever's being produced. So you might send over unassembled computer parts, you send back an assembled computer, uh, the company pays no tax on the change. So they, they therefore can mm. make the question, what's easier for us, paying an American worker 10 to say $5 an hour back then or paying a Chinese worker $5 a month? Yeah. And even if they're one half, one quarter is productive, let's go for the cheaper Chinese worker. And that's what really led to the growth of the industrialization. But there's one extra thing, I'm going to, I'll shut up in a moment. Uh, one extra thing that occurred as well as saying that, they said, you must have a Chinese partner. And within five years, the Chinese partner has to own 50% of the business, irrespective of the capital that Chinese partner started with. Yeah. Now, you just think. And then you're giving away all of your uh, intellectual property in, in that process, which oh, is oh, the yeah, other but, thing. Yeah, but, but he's not. You think, you think about it, what must be the difference in wage costs for an American corporation to find that an attractive deal. 
and yet many, many, many of them did, which is where the industrialization began. Yeah. So they, they were swapping, creating a Chinese capitalist for paying American workers, well, and that's been successful. Well, that I mean, the scenario you were describing where you had these, um, uh, the, you know, the, these vast warehouses of uh, the, the, the state had bought of furniture or whatever it may be, I mean, I guess export markets now, uh, you know, provide an, a, an outlet for well, that's, that sort of that's stuff. the limitless thing. That's right. And, it, and it's and it's so long as it's sold cheap, and that's um, you know that's been the problem, hasn't it? That the China has sold stuff cheap. But and that's see, this is the strategy which every successful industrialization country has followed. Um, that that they have they have grown a local industry by restricting um, imports into that industry and building up their own domestic alternatives and then exporting them later. Uh, they've run a trade surplus. This is the case in countries like Japan, Korea, now China as well. They finance their growth by reinvesting that trade surplus. Mm. And, and that's an essential part of what they were doing at that stage. Uh, but the, the huge part of it was also was seri- deliberately to get technology transfer because, again, when you look up the Chinese Communist Party, most of the people who make it to the top there are engineers. They're not bloody accountants and lawyers like we get in the West. The people who can actually build stuff. My favourite tale there involves the Chinese delegation that came to Australia roughly at the same time, and one of the uh, Communist Party leaders Chinese delegates went into the toilet and half an hour later he still hadn't come out and finally people got worried that they'd go inside and check and see what was wrong with him there he was he's an engineer he's seen the double flush toilet he'd literally taken it apart to see how it worked he was fascinated by it. Mm. He hadn't left the toilet while he worked out how a double flush toilet works. So the te- transferring the technology was an essential idea. They wanted to get up for Western technology as fast as possible. Yeah. So as well as getting ownership, because they also got the technology and then, of course, over time, companies like Foxon have taken the place of whatever American manufacturer went there in the first instance. So, um, and I guess it's, I mean, if you're able to control your own currency, and, and you know, there are currency controls that anyone can introduce. I mean, quantitative easing is a classic example, isn't it? Uh, and the impact that has on uh, has on currency. But if China says, well, okay, look, we don't want, we want to export lots, so we want to be cheap, we want, we want our currency to be uh, to not be worth a lot uh, and hey double whammy that's also going to make imports uh, very expensive so we'll be able to produce stuff cheaper on the on the domestic market so long as they're able to manipulate their currency which is the other thing that donald trump's up, uh, you know getting upset about um then they are forever going to be able to maintain that uh, that positive balance of trade aren't they or i mean are there any problems i mean i guess we start to see capital flowing out of china if the if, if it loses too much value and then then that can be problematic that's not really happening so far well, because these are in a super capital outflow right now, so there are, there are elements of, of that happening. But you, what you do have is that once you get an advantage, an industrial advantage, uh, and you're getting an indecent advantage out of the surplus you're, you're generating from your exports, that tends to give you a chance to reinvest that and continue developing fast in the other countries as well. So Japan shot itself in the foot courtesy of the bubble economy back in the 1980s, but it's still running a trade surplus to this day and still industrializing and developing its technology at a faster rate than the West. So you mm. get, uh, you know, what you get is robotics uh, on, a, on an enormous scale in Japanese manufacturing, far more so than in, in the West. And that robotics means that the They've, they've got an advantage which the, the price system does not eliminate. This is the thing. The, one of the arguments for floating exchange rates in the first instance was that it'd get rid of trades deficits and surpluses. Well, whoopee-doo. It's completely failed to do that because we're looking not at a static adjustment process but something dynamic. And with the 
with the feedbacks you get from being able to reinvest the surplus you're earning uh, from exports, then you can continue industrializing at a, at a faster rate and stay ahead. The price system doesn't cause your exchange currency to rise sufficiently, even in the absence of government's meddling. So um, the problem with the idea of tariffs, of course, is that, um, you know, you say, well, OK, we're going to impose a 10% tariff on all imports for China. Uh, the impact of that seems to have been to devalue the currency even more, the, the value of the yuan even more. So uh, you actually have to, which is actually what Trump is now saying. Well, OK, we're going to have to raise it to 25% rather than 10% because... Uh, uh, since we said that, the wine has gone down by almost as much as that. So we've got to push it up even, even, even more to try and compensate. I mean, it's it's not an effective means of control, no, it, is it? it? Is, I mean, he's got he's got a good point, but what is the way he's going about it is 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 catastrophic. It's bull in a china shop trying to make china. Um, that that's the problem. So he's going to disrupt supply chains all around the planet, um, and you know, people working out there profitability is going to find they've got far far more instability in both exchange rates and prices than they'd, they'd like to have. And the question is, will that lead manufacturers need a location to decide enough of this already? We've got to bring whatever production we're relying upon from imports onshore. Now, if that does, I think that's what Trump is hoping will happen yeah. uh, uh, with America, then America is behind the eight ball compared to China on this front because to do that sort of uh, dramatic increase in your domestic production, you have to have the industrial engineers, the skilled tradesmen uh, who know how to operate the machinery. Uh, and sorry, America may be making the machinery. It doesn't know how to operate it in that sense. They've got the manufacturing capability to make the actual you know, the hardware, controlled yeah. machines and so on. But actually to manage them, to, to make it, they haven't got the workforce that can do that, whereas China does. Yeah. Uh, now, so China may well decide, well, we've got to start making those machine tools ourselves. We can't rely upon the Americans anymore. The biggest one that I, I think of is that they, they may decide they've got to actually make a integrated circuit factories because – that's the if you think about any area of technology where Americans have an overwhelming advantage on the rest of the world, it's in the area of, of, of semiconductors and particularly integrated circuits. So the you know, CPUs. So you have either Intel or AMD in pretty much hundred percent of 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 of, um, of of laptops of, of, of computers. You have the Acorn uh, line that came out of the UK. Uh, and some of the other ones in smaller processes. But the submicron stuff that's now being developed, that is such a classic case of learning by doing that it's very, very hard to start that from the, from the, from the ground up. So, but I can nonetheless see Z, who was a, a, classic, um, a classic dictator in that sense, what, what Z says goes. If he says we've got to build a, uh, our own integrated circuit chip, then they'll, they'll put it as much effort to that. Yeah. As the Russians did into getting to getting into space, so they may well do that. The Americans, on the other hand, they've got the high tech, but they haven't got the, the skilled workforce. They may be forced to go and start training their domestic workforce, building up that skill set as as well as, as you know, installing the machinery they themselves make for domestic production of these things they're currently making offshore. So there could be an investment boom coming out of this trade war, and that's what intrigues me. I don't. I, I'm not just going to think about it the way the neoclassicals do. You know, we put prices up there for welfare falls. Yeah. To me, it could actually cause a fairly large boost in investment in both countries. Well, let's hope so. I mean, he's, Donald Trump tweeted for, from what you were saying just a, a few moments ago. It, it's a bit of a simplistic view. He says tariffs are working big time. Every country on earth wants to take wealth out of the US 
always to our detriment, I say, as they come, tax them. If they don't want to be taxed, let them make or build the product in the U.S. In either event, it means jobs and great wealth. But they're not going to make those products in the U.S., are they? For reasons we've described, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to make them overseas. And that capability... Well, there are some that make... Like BMWs are made in Alabama, I believe. Yeah. So there is, and, and you do have some Toyota factories and things like that as well. So what could also be happening is that uh, foreign multinationals based in, in with production plants in America may be deciding to expand those plants rather than to try to producing them uh, off in China. Um, that's feasible. Yeah, but similarly, some of them might also say, well, look, if we're getting tariffs the other way, uh, then it's worth us not producing them in the United States if the market is bigger overseas than it is is domestically, which we're also starting to see happen. But um, I wonder how much the, the president actually reckons this is going to work, because he also has tweeted recently saying the revenue from all these duties are going to help pay down the trillions in debt that has been accumulated through tax cuts, and he says also through Obama, but obviously it's gone up a lot more since he introduced his tax cuts. So that would seem to indicate that he expects the imports are still going to happen. People will be paying more for goods, negating the effects of reducing the taxes. So unless I'm missing something here, he's a bit confused by it all. I mean, it could also, <laughs> it could also push inflation up a bit more in the short term because of the uh, uh, because of the cost of all of these um, uh, these imports going up, which, you know, might expedite those tax rises that he doesn't want to see. Well, that's so, one thing, actually, I've, I've been expecting for some time because um, you, you, what you've had, is, as well as Trump's re- recent uh, shenanigans, you've also had the pretty much total destruction of the union movement in America, uh, certainly in the private sector, so that there's no longer a bargaining uh, power on the workers' side and workers themselves individually are far too coward and far too insecure to, to go and ask the boss for a wage rise. Uh, it's a shortcut to getting sacked. Uh, but if you get to the point where the, where the bosses themselves find they can't actually get the labour in unless they offer... Uh, start, start to offer higher wages themselves to attract new workers, then I think what you're going to see is a very short and sharp and sudden spike to inflation coming out of this, uh, combined with what's happening on the tariffs. So an increase in the rate of inflation, it might go from where it is now of the order of 2 and 2.5% two and up to 3 and 4 and 5%. At that level, uh, it's likely to trigger the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And that's, that's where I think the fun is going to come because the Federal Reserve is still back in the dark ages about the nature of money, unlike the Bank of England and the Bundesbank, which have a better understanding of how it's created. They don't, because the, the, the Federal Reserve completely ignores the level of private debt, they're not even aware of the dangers of deleveraging happening once more. If you put the rate up where, where they want to get back to, which is at least a rate of interest of 4%, um, and therefore, that means that rates on mortgages would become six and seven percent. At that level, given the level of debt people are in, it'll mean credit disappears from the economy. People start repaying the debts or going bankrupt, and there'll be a slump in demand, and the economy could go into a very large downturn, which will be a Federal Reserve-induced depression, a mm. recession. And I can see that happening quite probably in time for the next election campaign in well, America. Well, you see, and Donald Trump would be there, I'm sure, saying, as he's already started to say, you know, that he doesn't want them to push interest rates up because it takes away from he's injecting money into the economy. He obviously doesn't want to see that money taken out again uh, with people having to pay higher uh, higher interest rates on their mortgages. And uh, He'll be able to stop it. And I think we're going to therefore, we're going to quite possibly. So he'll, 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 he'll win the next election on that basis. He'll say, well, well he'll cam- I he'll told cam- them, I told rather- them. 
rather than campaigning against Obama, which is what he did in the last election campaign, this and Hillary, obviously, but Hillary is a sort of echo of Obama. I think this time I'll be campaigning against the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that could be dramatic because, I mean, if you, we, we all know, that, well, you know, you, you're supposed to, the, the, over the last 30 or 40 years, the um, central banks persuaded politicians to give them political in, independence to avoid uh, the, the pump priming accusations and so on. Trump's not the least bit worried about that stuff. Trump has absolutely no sense of shame, as we all know. And, and no sense of morals either. So he will see absolutely nothing wrong with him attracting the Federal Reserve, and that's going to be an all-out Barney. Uh, that, that could be a very, very interesting election campaign, rather similar to the campaigns back in the days when we had the battle between the biometallists, the gold versus the silver people that gave rise to the story of the Wizard of Oz. So because China is targeting their tariffs pretty closely at the, uh, at the Trump heartland, um, Trump is now having to subsidize farmers. So there's uh, there's talk of a $12 billion bailout for farmers because they are losing so much business because of these tariffs. Because, of course, you know, China is now just saying, well, look, if, uh, if we need soy products, we'll just get them from, from South America. So now we've got this protectionism plus the need to subsidize local producers that are losing out on export markets. But it sounds like you're saying, well, that may not be a bad thing if it encourages the these markets to develop. If we perhaps not with the, in the farming community, but in the uh, in the manufacturing community, if the subsidies are targeted correctly, then that could aid the level of production, which would allow uh, America to stand alone and not be so reliant on imports. I'm not sure, sure. Not about that one. I think what 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 is more um, in, interesting to me is that this shows the capacity of the state to create the money it needs if there's any loss of money coming in from elsewhere. So if you have a collapse in the sales of soybeans, uh, it's quite in Donald Trump's power to create the additional money through the government sector uh, and put that money into the hands of the soybean manufacturers and they don't lose out financially. Uh, they may complain about being paid not to produce anything, which of course is uh, a very powerful political theme in America, but he, he could do it. So what you get is a, a huge boost in the deficit. Now, of course, when, when the Democrats are in power, the Republicans are always claiming about how bad the deficit is. When they're in power, it's always tomorrow's issue. And uh, what you could see, this is why I'm seeing a boom coming out of what Trump is doing, even though he's only directed his tax cuts at the wealthy who won't spend, they may well end up using them for share buybacks instead. They have. Partly also, yeah. but, you know, what's also with the tariff side of things, I mean, they might be looking at the revenue coming in in terms of corporate cuts, tax cuts, or you know, what dividends they hang on to versus what borrowing they do. They may well decide to use some of that revenue to invest and make up for the damage to their supply chain done by the tariffs. So it, it, it's going to be, a, you know, it's... It, it's it's a mad, it's a Mad Max boom, in that sense. It's something where you you simply have to co- factor into your thinking that one of the key actors here is crazy, and will do anything. And then what the hell comes out of all that? Well, it will be whatever it is. It, it may be an increase or decrease in output. What? I expect to see an increase, but it'll be a, do it'll that. Be a mess. Is, is it going to be a boom? So we've had the tax cuts, and we've not seen any increase in uh, in in the. Uh, I mean, we've we've you know we've seen gradual increase in GDP, which but but really just following a track it was before, despite this massive injection of supposedly massive injection of funds from the tax cuts. Now we're seeing all these subsidies that are needed to uh, to compensate for the. Um, for the tariffs that are being introduced, the tariffs obviously going to push the prices up for, for things and take more money out of people's pockets. Is that really going to be a boom? 
Not necessarily, I agree, because again, the other thing which I've been looking at too, and some of my commentators on Patreon have made this observation back to me, credit seems to be maxing out at about 7% of GDP. And that's the, you know, the rate of change of private debt, which is identical to the creation of new money. Um, that was plus 15% at the peak of the boom before the, before the crash in 2008, minus 6% as its depth in 2010. It's now running at about 7%, but it seems to be flatlining and going six, five in that sort of region. That's actually taking demand out of the economy. Mm. And that's, of course, one thing that neither Donald Trump nor the Federal Reserve are looking at. So we, we have a, a whole range of mechanisms moving in, in different directions. I still think that the, the boom coming out of the continuation of QE, which we haven't even talked about here, uh, but the, the drip feed of QE into the real economy, uh, combined with uh, taxes, the, with, the, with the tax cuts, maybe with investment being pushed by the um, by the tariff uh, campaign Trump is running, uh, plus the, the government spending he's doing because of subsidies and things like that, that may keep demand rising in America for a while. I still think unemployment is going to continue falling, well, but it may be the end of the days of that happening. Well, QE is going to end by the end of the year. That's what they're saying, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and if they do that, then bang, the share prices start falling. But I don't, I don't think the Federal Reserve can... I don't think they can afford to stop QE because QE's inflated share prices so much and their whole mentality is they've got to keep asset prices high for what they call the wealth effect. It's actually a load of nonsense, but that's their thinking. Mm. If they see share prices start to tank, they'll go back into QE again. So I can see them trying to stop QE, then having a crash in the share market and the crash in the share market, meaning they go back and try to rescue the share market with more QE. Yeah, well, I mean, they are pretty committed to doing it by the end of the year. And, of course, the argument which Donald Trump's given about uh, any any fall in share prices is is just a correction on the fact that share prices have risen so much over the last year because of all the good work he's been doing, supposedly, uh, so they can afford to lose some. But, look, out of all of this, does the U.S. risk isolating itself? You know, as I say, China is buying its soy products from South America. Does anyone really care uh, if uh, American cars have uh, tariffs put on them, apart from Teslas, perhaps? I mean, who wants to buy an American car? We just won't buy them. And aren't we just going to find there's new trading arrangements, for example, between China and Europe? Uh, and uh, and America just becomes that place over there that people trade with less. Isn't that, is, think, isn't that a potential upshot? That's quite feasible because, again, what you have in some ways is an end of empire effect here. I, I do think that this is uh, the, the rise of the Chinese empire and not the collapse of the American empire, but the fall of its influence. And in some ways, this is the mad thrashing about at the end of a, of a, of a, of a reign. And that is... Yeah, I, I think. So it doesn't end with a war, with a real war. I hope not. <laughs> Certainly hope not. But uh, I think we're quite possibly going to see military skirmishes around the islands in the South China Sea, and mm. that's quite feasible. But uh, but certainly, the people's attitude that they people don't rely upon Americans anymore. Yeah, there was, there was a time you relied upon the Americans because certainly in the aftermath of the Second World War, not only were they the oh, the most powerful economy on the planet, they were also doing the Marshall Plan, and they also had the most uh, powerful industrial economy on the planet. None of that is true anymore, and I think in that situation, people are going to say, "We've got to find some alternative to the Americans. What else can we do?" and 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 that sort of thinking may become solidified uh, with the, certainly. There's another term of Donald Trump. 
then there'd be no way that the Europeans and the Asians would put up with uh, having to rely upon American monetary systems. Well, relying on America is uh, yeah something that has already been disbanded, hasn't it? People don't rely yeah. on America anymore. So, no. so given that we you know we started this 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 session off just just finishing very briefly, you said you know in in the basic premise is right that you know that China. Uh, uh, it does need to be uh, tackled in some way that they have they are creating for themselves perhaps an unfair advantage you know you could say well they can do what they want but they but they are creating a situation which is making it harder let's put it that way for america and many other nations to uh, to compete given that trump's identified that what should he be doing to try and resolve the problem good question i think he should be trying to get american corporations to invest domestically and to grow the American economy. The, the, the easiest thing you can do, actually, and this is, this is one thing I know would never happen, is to realise that if he, if his focus is all of being the world's best deal maker and so on, tear up the deal that Harry Dexter White made with, uh, the, the, with John Maynard Keynes that he'd impose the Bretton Woods system as long as the American dollar was the reserve currency rather mm. than what Keynes wanted, which is the bank or. Yeah. The, the cleverest thing Trump could do is say, OK, let's bring in international currency, uh, let's not use the American dollar anymore. Let's create the bank hall. Uh, uh, and, and then what would happen is the, the, the value of the American dollar would plunge because it's overinflated because it's a reserve currency in the first place. Right. If it fell 20 or 30%, that would eliminate the um, competitive disadvantage America currently has. And there would, there would be no anybody else the world could complain about it. So the cleverest thing he could do was say, let's introduce the bank or, uh, but I think hell will freeze over before that happens. Right. But if he was to do that, I mean, if you look at, you know, where the future is, if China started, and we've talked about this before, if China started on the basis that it could provide cheap labor, uh, increasingly the future is going to be automation and investment in the machinery to, uh, to automate processes. And then cheap labor is less, less important. So America That's, does, does yeah, have but, an opportunity there if they make the right investment now. That's right. There is a strong possibility of that. Tesla's gone too far, as they know, on that front of trying to automate everything. There is The reason you use human labor is because the human brain can direct its energy uh, much more flexibly than a than an artificial brain can. But as time goes on, most of those processes, you've watched, you would have seen the Boston, what's it called? There's a company called Boston... Robotics, I think it is, with the robot that can now run and turn and jump cartwheels and things like that, which uh, just a couple of years ago was falling over when it tried to take a step. Mm. Uh, as time goes on, those automated systems will be able to t- take the place of human labor. And then what you get is a far greater capacity of energy that can be put in by a machine than a human can do and far faster speed. And yes, you don't need the labor anymore. And that that could be, if that's what America focused upon, then you wouldn't need the third world production centers in the first place. No, but they're focusing on the production of soy products subsidized by the president. That's where the future Mm. is. Uh, interesting discussion. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, next 12 months unfolds, isn't it? Because this thing isn't going away, that's for sure. This trade war's full on. Uh, good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Okay, man. Good. Unless, uh, of course, now he uh, gets impeached. He loses so much ground in the midterms of the Democrats uh, go for the jugular. But even if they gain power, what would they do to untangle what's been done, at least with Donald Trump? You know, we know what he's up to, and he gives us lots to talk about. Now, you could argue that the president is making America more isolated. And Next time, uh, we'll take isolationism to the extreme. Think of Robinson Crusoe. He's on an island. What sort of economy would he run and how would it evolve as he discovers new people, 
new markets. It's Economics 101. We take it right back to the very beginning and the origin and role of money. That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Join me for that one. See you soon. Thanks for listening. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.